This is a great morning. This is a great day. It's a great time to be alive. Do you believe that? Yes. I'm telling you, it's time for the, to arise and shine and let the glory of the Lord shine through you. You know, I like what the way the Amplified says it. It says, arise and shine from the depression and the prostration in which situations have kept you. Rise to a new life. You can rise to a new life because God has already provided it for you and I through his salvation. Amen. So we can. The glory of the Lord is residing on the inside of both all of you, of me. And it's time to let it shine out because there's a lot that's going on in the world. There's a lot of darkness that's going on in the world and he needs lights. So it's our time. This is our, you were born for this. Do you realize that you were born for this? You may be going, oh my God, of all the times to live. But no, think of it like this. I challenge you to, to rethink things. How awesome that God chose you to live now. Because he could trust you to carry out his purposes, his plans in the earth. He could count on you. He knew that he could count on you to do what he needs done in the earth. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, welcome everybody in the house. Welcome to you guys online. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about being bold. Um, so I just want to pray before we get started. Father, I just thank you for your anointing upon the word. Father, I yield myself as a catalyst, as your voice in the earth. Lord, I ask you to um, let me speak with accuracy. Let me speak with boldness, with your authority, Father. And let me speak with clarity, Father. And let, let these thoughts come across to us, Father. Let us learn something about prayer, bold prayer, that we don't have to be afraid, but we can come boldly to your throne of grace, Father, without any kind of reservation or hesitation. Come into your presence, Lord, and ask you for what we need, knowing that you're such a good God and you'll give it to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your anointing upon the word and your anointing upon what I would say today. Let me speak only your, your will and not mine. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So that is our key scripture in Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us fearlessly, confidently, and boldly draw near to God's throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor, that we may receive mercy and grace in a good time for every need. And it goes on to say appropriate and well-timed help coming just when we need it. You know, God is perfect. And when he, his timing is perfect. So we can go to his throne room. We can go to his courtroom with boldness, with confidence, completely fearless and ask for help. Whatever kind of help it is that you need. How, you may ask me. Well, it's because of his unconditional love that he has for us. I don't have time to go into all of what that entails, but I do want to tell you this. Um, God desires for us to come boldly to him. 
because number one of his great love, but he's provided all the help, all the resources that we could ever need. Wrapped up in that mercy and grace is the word hesed. Hesed. Okay. Now that's the Hebrew word. Okay. But in that word hesed, it's very deep. And behind that word is his love. So everything that he does, the way God moves toward you and everything that he does is because of his great love for you. Okay. That hesed word is a covenant word. God made a covenant with you. When you got born again, he made a covenant with you. That is an agreement that cannot be broken. He can't break it. We can walk away from it, but he can't break it on his end. But that's why you can go boldly. You say boldly, arrogantly. No, not arrogantly, boldly, fearlessly. You don't have to be afraid of God. He's not sitting on a throne waiting to beat you over the head and me over the head when we err. We're going to err because we're, 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 we're human. But thank God for his mercy and grace that hesed. Praise God. So when you understand how much God loves you, this word becomes, um, has, it has a greater meaning. Okay. Um, Ephesians three twelve says, because of our faith in Christ Jesus, we dare to have boldness, courage, and confidence. We have free access and unreserved an approach to God with freedom, without fear. So you can go into his presence without fear. So let's look at some really Great examples of some people who did bold prayer. So I want to talk about Esther for a little bit, but I want to give you the backstory here. Um, first, Esther was a captive. She was taken into Babylon. She was a Jew. She, her parents were killed. So she was adopted by her uncle named Mordecai. And when they were in Babylon or Persia, as it was called during that time, she was taken, she was in a harem full of young women. And the king looked over that group of women and he said, I want her to be my queen. Now, I'm not filling in all the details for the sake of time, okay? So he chose her to be queen. Now, Uncle Mordecai was sitting at the gates and he overheard this plot to kill the king. So he went and he told the queen... And he said, I think that you need to tell the king this. So what happened was she went and told the king about this plot. And they caught the two guys and they hung them on these gallows. Okay. So in the meantime, there was a man named Haman. And he was promoted to be right under the king. So he had the power and the authority to make laws, to decree laws. Okay. And so once he was promoted... He got full of pride. He became very arrogant. So he was walking and you were supposed to bow to him if he walked by. Well, Mordecai did not bow to him. Thus, this is kind of where we're going to pick up the story. It made uh, Haman so angry that Mordecai would not bow to him. He decided in his heart, I'm going to wipe out Mordecai and all his people. So right then there was a decision to exterminate the Jews all because of hatred. Okay. Now 
I'm going to pick up in Esther chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. Then Haman said to King Hazurus, who is also King Xerxes. Okay, it depends on which version that you read here. This is the new King James. There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain alive. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work and bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and he gave it to Haman, and the, who was the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you. Do with them as seems good to you. Kind of, does any of that sound very familiar what we're dealing with today? <laughs> we don't like those people. Let's just wipe them off the face of the earth. So Queen Esther found herself in a very difficult situation. She'd received information from Mordecai about this plot to completely destroy the Jews. Now, when she became queen, she did not reveal her nationality. So Mordecai requested that she go before the king and she tell him about this plot so that he could intervene. But I guess Mordecai thought that maybe because she was the wife of the king that she had some kind of influence with him or something. But things didn't work that way. This was a law. Whenever the king put his signet ring on something, it was a law. It was a done deal. It could not be reversed unless he reversed it himself, right? So this was a genocide, guys. This was an annihilation of the Jews that was set into place. It was a decree that was to be taken uh, to be done on a certain day. So Esther explained to him, she goes, you don't understand. I can't go before the king. If he doesn't call me, I can't go before him. He's got a law that if anybody goes in there and he doesn't call them, they, they kill you. And she said, and I haven't even seen him in a month. So let's pick up and let's go to Esther chapter four. And I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Then, uh, then Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think, sorry, I'm going to read the amplified classic version here. Then Mordecai told them to return this answer to Esther. Do not flatter yourself that you shall escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance shall arise for the Jews somewhere else, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, but that you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this and for this very occasion. So when Esther told Mordecai, you don't understand, I can't go ask him to save us. I can't ask him to intervene. Mordecai goes, well, <laughs> don't think you're going to escape it just because you're the queen. You're a Jew. They're going to find out who you are and they're going to kill you. Well, Esther faced a death sentence, but she hadn't done anything wrong. She was faced with this difficult 
decision. Do I talk to the king or do I not talk to the king? It looked like a no win, no win situation. If I talk to him and he doesn't call me, he could kill me. If I don't, they're going to kill us anyway. So what am I going to do? Have you ever faced a situation like that? It looked like it was no win, no win. When all your options seem to like they, they lead to a dead end. What did you do? Well, let's look and see what Esther did. Remember, she was a Jew, okay? So she knew her covenant with God. I love that about the Jews. They teach their children. So from one generation to the next generation to the next generation and to a thousand generations, they have taught them the word of God. The first, they memorized the first five books called the Torah. They know the promises of God. They know them. They have them written on the tablets of their heart. So they know them. So she knew her God. She knew the covenant, right? So this is what her answer was in verse 16. She says, go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me and neither eat nor drink for three days, day or night. I also and my maids will fast as you do. And then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So she had decided in her heart, I'm going to go talk to him, even though it's against the law, but I'm going to pray first. I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to act. So all of the, her, the direction we're going to see came from those three days of prayer. So during this time of fasting and prayer, it doesn't say that God told Esther anything. There's no specific direction from God. There was no angelic visitation. There wasn't even a supernatural intervention. There wasn't a word, if you will. She was just being led in her heart. The first miracle that we see here is at the end of the three days of fasting and prayer, Esther is granted favor by the king because you guys know the story. She goes in and he's like, so excited to see her. He extends his royal scepter, which means enter. And he asks her to come in. And, and so the conversation goes, well, what do you want? What, what can I do for you? I'll, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. And she says, will you come to dinner? I want, I want you and Haman to come to dinner. And he says, okay. So that's what happened. This is what the prayer and the fasting provided. Boldness and courage, number one, for Esther to speak to the king. And it opened up his heart to give her favor. And then she was led by her heart, if you will, for these two dinners. Because you guys know the story. She had two dinners. She didn't tell the king everything the first time the king and Haman came to dinner. It was on the second night that she informed the king about the plot to exterminate the whole entire population of the Jews. Prayer will open up things in the spiritual realm so that we're able to walk them out in the natural realm. But you've got to pray first. We have to pray things out first. That's why tongues are so important. It's that spiritual language that God gives you 
that we pray the perfect prayer. You can pray the plan of God out and then walk it out. And that's really, this is a good illustration here of what Esther did because there wasn't any specific direction laid out. She had to follow her heart. What if Esther didn't call for a time of fasting and prayer? What would have happened? I think that the outcome might have been completely different. Don't you? So notice there's nowhere that God gave her the final outcome. He did not give her the details. She did not know ahead of time how any of this was going to turn out. So she was probably sweating. She was probably nervous. She probably had the butterflies in her stomach. You know how sometimes when you, you're walking by faith and you're believing God with every fiber of your being. But in our flesh, it sweats. Our knees shake. You got that butterfly thing in your stomach going on. Sometimes you, even we say, I'm just kind of sick at my stomach. You know, I'm just, I just, I can't eat. Just, just can't eat. That doesn't mean you're not in faith. That's your flesh. The flesh has got one way it's going to act, and my spirit's going to act another way. Okay? You've got to always remember that. Your flesh, it's going to sweat. It's going to get nervous. It's going to have the butterflies. But my spirit, that doesn't mean my spirit is not solid, firm. I, I, you're not. You are not going to convince me God is not good and he's got a good plan for my life. Okay? There's things that you know that you know that you know in your heart, in your spirit. You're solid on the word. And it doesn't mean that you're, the flesh comes in line with that. But that is a progression. That is, that is a journey there. So when it came time for Esther to disclose her request to the king, it was the second dinner she had invited the king and Haman to. She didn't know if the king was going to respond favorably to her or not. She was like, okay, I think, I think this is the time. I, th I think, I think I'm going to tell him. I think, I think I'm going to move out and I'm just going to tell him. He's going to ask me. What it is that you want. What it is, Esther. What it is. I'll, I'll give you half a half to the kingdom. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing, the favor? Okay, so I want to tell you this. Back in the second chapter of Esther, when, she, when the king chose her, when she found favor in his sight, that word favor is hesed. So that same love that I was telling you about, that God has that mercy, loving kindness, okay, that God has for you and I, he had for her. So she was just moving out by faith. I imagine she was nervous because she really didn't know how this was going to go. She was just walking in obedience, what she was led to do by her heart. That's what we have to do sometimes. You're praying, you've got your word from God, but there's nothing in the natural that even makes that look like that that's going to be okay, that that's going to be true. 
but you've got God's word on it. So you keep walking it out. You keep doing the word. You're not moved by what you see. You're not moved by what you feel. You don't take your eyes off. It's like the blinders on the horse. Okay? Not blinders like this. Blinders like this. So that you're not distracted. Distraction will take you off course. Distraction will bring in fear. You've got to be focused. You know, Jesus was focused. When it came time for Jesus to die on the cross, there was a lot of stuff going on on the left and the right. But he stayed focused and he looked past the cross. He kept a focus and he looked past. He saw the bigger picture. That's what we have to do. You have to be a visionary. If you're not a visionary by nature, become one. Be a visual. See it. So, I believe uh, those words of Mordecai were ringing in her heart. So let's go back and see what they were. And who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this and for this very occasion. I think that was just ringing out in her heart. Because you remember she was a Jew, so she remembered Moses and how the, the, the Israelites, they were delivered all the times that God moved on their behalf and parted this and opened this and provided here and provided there and protected here. She knew all that. So I think she began to think, Lord, are, are you going to use me? Me? I'm, I'm a young girl. I'm a queen, but I'm a young girl. So, I think that those, those words were ringing out in her heart. So look over here at, at Esther chapter 7, 2 through 10, because I want you to see this. I'm going to read this from the uh, NIV. The king asked Queen Esther, what would you like, half my kingdom? Just ask and it's yours. Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, annihilated. If we had merely been sold and made, made, made to be male and female slaves, I would have been quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing you, my king. But Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, this man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, An adversary, this enemy, it is the vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen, the king got up in rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. Can you see it? His robes are flailing, wine's tipped over, the things are messed up on the table. He is furious. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Can you, can you imagine this? This guy that had been promoted to this place, now he's down on his knees begging the queen to save my life, save my life. And this is funny. Listen to this. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And so he's like, 
What? Now you're going to molest my wife? So one of the servants said, Behold the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, whose warning saved the king, stands at the house of Haman. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman at the gallows that he had prepared, that he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's wrath was pacified. So that's the end of Haman. But that's not the end of the story. They still needed intervention. That law, that decree was still out there to kill the Jews. Esther was saved because she was in the household, right? But there was still a decree out there. So I guess I need to tell you how big and how vast the province of Persia was. There was 127 provinces. It was about 2 million square miles. So this is a lot of territory that had to be covered. So this is what happened. Um, So even after Haman the betrayer was hung on the gallows that was built for Mordecai, the Jews still weren't safe from this edict. Um, so the king gave Esther and Mordecai the authority and the permission to change that. And they did, but that new edict, okay. That canceled out the old one. It had to be distributed throughout those provinces, throughout the whole kingdom. So this was a whole lot of territory that this new law had to be, uh, taken to, right? But I want you to see something here. I thought this was very interesting. You should go back and you should read this story. Esther and Mordecai were given the permission and the authority to change the laws. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? Where it looked like it was impossible, ladies and gentlemen, things are possible with God. When it looks like it is going to be one way, but God says, "Uh uh-uh. Nope, not for my people, not my people. I'm going to move on behalf of my people. I preserve, protect, and provide for my people. God will make a way where there seems like no way. He still parts Red Seas. He still will make rock come or water come from a rock if he needs to. He hasn't changed. We're the ones who change. We limit him. We limit him by what we can see. Oh, surely you can't do that because don't you know? It reminds me of the time that I told the Lord he asked me to do something and I had the nerve to tell him. Time out. You don't understand what you're asking me to do. Do you understand what's on the line here? If you, I mean, who am I to ask to tell God time out, number one? And who am I to say, wait, do you understand what you're asking me to do? No. Yes, he does. He understands very well what he's asking us to do, right? So this new edict, is, it's very interesting. This new edict gave the Jews the right to protect themselves against anyone who might want to carry out the old decree. Look at this in uh, Esther 8, verses 11. It says, well, let me back up to verse 10. It says, and this is Mordecai. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with his the king's ring 
and sent letters by messengers on horseback riding on swift steeds, mules, and young dromedaries used in the king's service. In it, the king granted the, granted the Jews who were in every city to gather together to defend their lives, to destroy, to slay, and to wipe out any armed force that might attack them, their little ones, and their women, and to take the enemy's goods for spoil. So that thing completely turned around. This, remember, this started out as extermination for the Jews. And God turned this thing around for, okay, we're not going to exterminate the Jews. And I'm giving you the right to defend yourself. The God-given right to defend yourself. That's even better. Because if we have to defend ourselves and God is on, God's got my back on that. This is a win-win situation here. So when you pray, when you completely trust God and you let him be your vindicator, he will move heaven and earth for you. He'll change laws. He'll expose evil schemes and he'll remove wicked people. That's exactly what he did here. He's no different today. We limit him with this. We limit him with this. We, we, we put him in a box with our mouth and with our mind because I can't imagine. I mean, how would he do that? I, I just can't figure it out. How would he do that? Well, I'm not going to. This is higher than what I could imagine. Higher. It says in Isaiah that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. That's why he's God and I'm not. So, promotion came for Haman and salvation came for the Jews. What the enemy meant for evil and death, Jehovah God turned it around. So in Esther 8, 15 and 17, it says, When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing a royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and purple, and a robe of fine linen. Okay, you don't wear those things unless you are royalty. Those were signs of royalty. So, so the king promoted Mordecai. And the city of Shushan held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, feasting and celebration. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because of the fear of the Jews came upon them. So many people that weren't Jews became Jews, became God-fearing Jews because they were afraid of the Jews. So they go, so that I can be saved, I'm going to become a Jew. Well, that's a great thing. We can liken that today as there's going to be a whole lot of salvations going on. There's going to be a whole lot of people coming to the kingdom of God because we're going to stand up for what's right, for what's just, I'm going to stand up for what the Bible says. God's got my back on some things. And I'm going to, there's going to be a whole lot of people coming to the kingdom. Isn't that good? So what if Esther had not, um, 
waited to go to the king? What if she had not called for that fasting and prayer? I believe that outcome again would, would be completely different. But I love and admire the fact that she paused and prayed. She sought God when she faced the giant. She didn't run in fear. She faced the giant, just like, just like David did. He faced the giant. Even though the giant was screaming such slanderous things against Jehovah, he faced that giant. We've got to face the giants today. We can't run in fear. You know what? You know what fear does? Fear will cause you to retreat. Fear will cause you to cower in defeat. Fear causes blurred vision. Fear causes one to make bad decisions. We're living in the days that we don't need to be afraid. God has not given you and I a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. It's not our power. It's not a power that we can tap, but it's a Holy Ghost power. It's a supernatural power. It's his power, his might, his ability working through us. And you only tap into that when you spend time with him and when you believe the word. You got to believe the word. Everything else has just got to go to pot or go to Hades. However you want to put it. it you, it's, it's the word. That, that's that's, that's got to, you've got to look at it like this is all I have. All I have is the word. I got some great books. I know y'all have some great books. But the books are just great information. This is life. This is truth. This has been proved out. The things that in it that God did then, he's going to do now. He's not any different. I'm serious. I, I should be smiling more. They're probably going to tell me after this is all over. You need to smile more. <laughs> but I'm an intense person. Everybody that works with me, especially on the praise team, I'm a not, I really, I'm nice. I'm nice, but I'm just very, <laughs> I'm very serious <laughs> and I'm very intense. We can do this. I know we can do this. God is depending on us. More than ever before, I, I see that so clearly that God is depending on you guys. He's depending on you. He's depending on me. You know, he's in heaven. He, he can't just come down and, and do things. He can't do that. He's limited himself. He works through you. He works through me. So we've got to yield ourselves. We have to yield. And if there's anything that's going to keep me from yielding, I got to get rid of it. What could keep us from yielding? You know, the same thing could have happened to Esther. She could have been saying like, I can't go to the king. Oh my God, I'll die. And I'm really liking this queen thing. You know, I got all these clothes. I got to eat all these nice food. Man, I like this role. This is sweet. This is one sweet deal. But she didn't. She said, my, my, my life's on the line. My destiny's on the line. My people are on the line. I, I can't, I've 
take this serious. So she called a three-day fast and she yielded. And like I said, remember this, guys. God didn't give her all these details. You know, some of the prophets in the Bible, I mean, God just laid it out. Just da, 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 da. He didn't do that for Esther. She had to be just led day, one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. And I know that can be really nerve-wracking and that you can just like, oh, my God. But, you know, that's how God leads us, one day at a time. One step of obedience at a time. But the more you do it, the more solid you get, the more confident you get, the more knowing you have, yes, God is on my side and ain't no demon in hell going to stop me. It, it builds that, that confident, that holy confidence. It's not arrogance. It's, it's holy confidence. But I'm telling you, you can't retreat. If you retreat, you can't respond. You've got to refuse to back up. Your legs may be shaken and you may be sweating bullets, but as God's covenant people, we never give up, give in, or back down. Um... When we stay calm and we seek God in prayer, he will always lead and guide our steps. He gives direction. He'll give specific direction. He'll give you what you need to get out of that situation. But you've got to trust him. So I want to tell you about a personal story where I had to trust the Lord. I have to trust him all the time. But this is one big thing that happened in our life, in our family. But um, so the Guatemalan... Civil War began on November the 13th, 1960, and it was a war that was raging for 36 years. It finally ended on December 29th, 1996. But we were, we went to Guatemala in 1995. And so we were there for some time, and the Civil War was going on. It still hadn't ended yet because it didn't end until December the 29th of 96, and we were there in the first part of 95. So it had, we were there for mission, missionary training and what have you. And so um, we had done our training, and we were actually on our way back home to the United States. And we were leaving Quesaltenango, and we were headed towards Guatemala City to fly out. And there was, they were taking a lot of us, I guess, to the airport, so there were multiple cars. And so we weren't together. Pastor Bruce and I weren't in the same vehicle. Elizabeth and I were, but he was in another vehicle. Well, I think it was the vehicle that we were in. It was the van. It broke down. Now, it's like a six six, eight-hour drive from where we were to Guatemala City. So this van breaks down, and we're not like an hour away. We're like four or five hours away. And it breaks down. Yeah, the engine seized up. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go anywhere. Now, this is rural. This isn't like, you know, you can get out and thumb a ride or get on the cell phone and call somebody it wasn't like that so anyway what I had to do was they took the women and the children and they took us to Guatemala City and I had to leave my husband there with another man and um, 
I want to be careful how I say this, but um, at, we, we didn't speak any Spanish. So we had asked the guy that, that we were with, do you think that you could leave your son with us so that, you know, if, if somebody comes along, he could communicate because we don't speak Spanish, but he does. And he said, I'm not leaving my son here. So I was like, you won't leave your son, but you, you're okay with leaving my husband. Okay. Well, so I had a choice. Am I going to get mad? (laughs) So I had to pass up the opportunity to get mad and to be afraid because you could hear the gunshots. You could hear the machine guns. You could hear it. Even where we were staying in, in Quesaltenango, it was, it, it became familiar to you. You just understood what was going on and you just heard it. It wasn't uncommon. So I had to leave him there. Civil wars going on. We're in the jungle. We pushed that van up into a bunch of trees and a bunch of stuff to hide it so that they, it wouldn't be seen. So they took us to the city and put us in the hotel. Well, I decided right then and there, I think I'm going to pass up fear. I'm just going to pass it up. He's in the jungle. All this is going on. I'm not sure. And they said, I don't know how long it's going to take. Don't, don't, we don't have any answers for you. There wasn't any cell phones back then. Not like there are today. We certainly didn't have any. So I had to trust God. I had to trust him. And don't think that it went knocking on my door. You'll never see him again. They're going to kill him. You and Elizabeth are going to have to go back home. And this is over. But I said, no. I said, no. God hasn't brought us this far to let my husband die in that way. No. No. So I refused fear and I just prayed. I fasted. They came and gave us something to eat and I fasted, fed Elizabeth, put her to bed. I acted like everything was going to be fine. Daddy was going to be back. In just a little bit, daddy was going to be back. We're going to get on the plane. We're going to go home. We're going to finish this thing. And obviously everything turned out fine because here we are. But that was real. That was real fear. And I had to say no, but I had to walk it out. I couldn't communicate. I couldn't say, hey, have y'all got, have y'all got any, you got help. You got somebody to get the van. You got, there was no communication. I just had to wait. Hours and hours I had to wait. I think he got there real early the next morning and then there was like, I don't know, three, four hours for him to rest and then we flew out. But I had to wait all those hours, probably 12 hours without any information and just pray and trust God. My flesh wanted to agonize because in that moment, It was so real, but I said, no, no, 
I know what God's will is. You've got to know that you know God's will. And you've got to say no to the devil. And you go with what you know in your gut is right. That's what you got to do. You can't yield to fear. You can't. Fear is real. Fear is real. It's, it's, we're, it's staring us in the face. It's like a giant. The church will be shut down. The da, 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 all that stuff. I'm not even going to vocalize it. No. Not, not on my watch. Not now. Nope. There's a lot of work to do. We're still called the bride of Christ. Jesus hasn't come back for the spot-free, wrinkle-free church yet. He's coming back for a triumphant church, a glorious church. And we're not there yet. There's still work to be done, people. There's still chairs in here that don't have a body in them yet. There's still another service to be had after this. We're not there yet. So we're not done. This isn't over. So don't let fear cause you to retreat. Don't let fear cause you to cower in defeat. Don't let it blur your vision. And don't let it make you make bad decisions. Okay? You've got to say no. You've got to say no. I wanted to get into Hezekiah because there's something really important here that I want to talk about prophecy. So in second Kings chapter 18, we find that Hezekiah and his people were threatened by war by the king of Assyria. He was attacked with all kinds of threats, all these unbelievable lies, letters of intimidation. I mean, you name it. They came against Hezekiah. Sound familiar? I mean, you read this stuff and you're like, my God, this sounds like today. So the Assyrians even went to the people of Judah, okay, and they blasphemed God to their faces. And they disgraced Hezekiah to his own people. But Hezekiah told them, he said, don't respond. Zip it. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. But in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 6 and 7, this is what Isaiah... Now, Isaiah was a prophet during this time, and he says, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words you have heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled and blasphemed me. I will put a word in his ear so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own country. But we know that Hezekiah called for prayer and fasting. He called for a time of prayer. So even though there was a prophecy that everything's going to be okay, king's going to die by his own sword, there was, still, there was still prayer that went on. There was still intercession that went on. So even though there may be words of prophecy given, we still have to pray. You still have to walk it out. 
There's still obedience required even though that word of prophecy is given. That word of prophecy is given as an exhortation, edification, and comfort. But we don't take such comfort that we do nothing. You take, you be edified, you be exhorted, and you take comfort, and you pray. You speak the word, you declare, and you decree. We have to be obedient in walking that out for that prophetical word to come to pass. There's a God part, and there's a man part. There's a God part, and there's a man part. Always. God will never fail to do his part. Never. He will not fail. He will not forsake you. He will not let go. But there's things that we have to do. And it's in that still time. It's in that quiet time that he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you and he'll tell you what you need to do. You know, things are time sensitive today, meaning... I believe that there are assignments to step up to and take hold of to walk in and to accomplish. They're for such a time as this, kind of like Esther. Mordecai said, if you don't do it, somebody else will do it. Don't think that you're going to escape this, but if you don't step up to the plate, God will send somebody else to deliver. But God wants to use you. I don't want God to pass over me. Because I was afraid or because I didn't listen. Because one day I'm going to have to stand before him. I'm going to have to answer for that. But things are time sensitive. So we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We've got to be discerning. I think that is of utmost importance now. now. We've got to hear the voice of the Lord. Being finely tuned to his voice is imperative. And you've got to have a spirit of faith. You've got to have a spirit of faith. Michael, if you guys could like turn on the music because I'm winding this down. But I'd like to have some nice background music. You know, you've got to have a spirit of faith and operate in that spirit of faith and with that spirit of faith. You've got to yield. We've got to yield. We've got to, we've got to yield. That means laying everything down that would be a distraction that would keep me from hearing or seeing. And yield to him. Our thought life will dictate how the spirit life within us actually plays out in our life and experience. I'm going to say that again because that's a really important statement. Our thought life will dictate how the spirit life within us actually plays out. Because what you think about, what? It becomes your, what you believe and then you live and move out of what you believe, right? It becomes your reality. And so we live out of what's reality. I do out of what's reality to me. But what if reality is wrong? What if you believe what is wrong? 
What if what you think is wrong? That's why we have to yield. We have to submit. I have to align. I have to line everything up in my life with this word. What I think, what I do, what I say, it's got to line up with God's word because this is what he's going to back up. Remember, he backed up Esther. He backed up his people. Ladies and gentlemen, you are his people. You are the people of God. You're no different than the Israelites in this book. (laughs) You are his people. And there's nothing that he won't do for you. The very miraculous things that he did for the people in this Bible, he will do for you today. Let that bring peace and comfort to you. Let that bring encouragement to you. But he's asking that we not be afraid. He's asking for us to be bold, to be courageous, and to be obedient. Those are the three words that he spoke to me. He said, this next year, you're going to have to be bold and courageous and obedient. And we can because he's got our back. I'm the only one that can be obedient. Okay? As I yield to him, there's there's a grace to be obedient. Okay? He helps me be obedient, but it's by my choice. Bottom line, it's my choice to be obedient. I, I bow my knee to what he wants me to do. And when I do that, then that holy boldness, that courageousness reinforces me. Now that's supernatural. But when I bow my knee in submission to him, that's what I can do. All that I need to do. All things are possible. All things are possible.